Welcome to the In Search For More podcast, where guests join me in my search for more, more from myself and more from life. I'm your host, Ellie Nash. I sit down, sometimes with one person, and often with a panel to talk about various topics I am interested in learning more about. Hey guys, welcome back to the In Search of More podcast. In my last episode, I called it the In Search for More podcast. And in my search of more, I found out that In Search for More is grammatically incorrect. So going forward, we're calling this the In Search of More podcast. Also in the last episode, we spoke extensively about the nature of porn, the origination of some of the urges, at least for myself and some of the other panelists, and what steps someone can take to remove the addiction. As I mentioned, uh, we're going to get right in with Max, Max Dossel, the renowned spoken word poet. And I have some very specific questions for him right at the beginning of this, specifically around his relationship with pornography. I'll see you on the other side. Max, I'm interested in asking you a question. I know I'm putting you on the spot, so if you don't want to answer, just... You you gave a um, poem about porn use, but do you use the term porn addict to describe yourself? I hadn't thought of it that way. And then I, it's funny, this, I, what I actually was thinking, wow, I really want to share this, was that in my, so this experience with that woman that I described was absolutely a trigger to my stopping, like watching porn and helping me like recognize, whoa, what's been happening here. And what I want to share is that also like, I did not stop masturbating. Those, that was very different. That was a different, like, and I think there's, there's different levels of addiction to masturbation, whatever, like, but for me, it was, I was actually reading a book called The Multi-Orgasmic Man. Um, that was really helpful for me to read along with, along with stopping watching porn for me, because it kind of changed the story around masturbation and self-love for me, an idea of like cycling my energy and using that towards my life in a much more productive way. I was just realizing like, and I've had this conversation in performing this poem, that it would have been really hard for me to be like, oh my God, this is a problem for me. I just got to stop all of that altogether. And that would have been really overwhelming for me. For I don't you, think I would do that. But for you, when you wanted to stop porn, you essentially had a reason. Like this this woman for the first time held up a mirror to you and gave you a good reason to stop watching porn. And then you yeah, did. Yeah, I was really messing with my sex life, with my intimacy life. Like, I, yeah, I was having uh, like premature ejaculation problems too. Like that just like, there was a lot of stuff going on for me where I was not, so and like, and it, it also came up for me that like, I, I have such a deep love for so many women and like women in my life. And there was something about the way that porn was showing me what sex is or that I was learning what sex was from porn. And that idea of it did not fit with how I felt about, about women and women in my life. And then I was like, I don't want to mix that with this person that I care, oh, is it is it okay to, I felt ashamed. I felt like that wasn't love. Like I knew something was wrong and these two worlds were living we're living inside of me. And I, I recognized that like, that I, I wanted change in that, but I mean, it's an ongoing journey. I'm not healed. I'm not like, it's a, but it's, I think it's really for me been about learning better communication, learning better intimacy and learning better sexual habits of like, and that's all an ongoing process. And I recognize that for me personally, porn was not a helpful part of that journey. Yeah. The way, the way you talk about, it, I would say it's very different than my own experience whereby where in your, the way it sounds with you is you had a, a good reason to stop and then the commitment to stop and for me it was the commitment to stop and then breaking it and then the commitment and then breaking it and it took uh, massive I, massive efforts i like i wasn't like oh great no more done. like absolutely it was not like a great decision and i'm done and i'm out no 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 plenty of relapses plenty of that <laughs> <plenty laughs> i fell back down the rabbit hole and yeah, I think the last time that I fell in the rabbit hole was about two years ago for me. Before that, there have been other times, and like it's 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 an ongoing. An ongoing so has anything come up for you uh, in this con in this conversation when you're hearing David, Faith, and Dan speak? What David was just sharing, too, like, definitely resonated with me too. Of recognizing 
with my habits with porn and sometimes my habits with masturbation of that, like the feeling of the overwhelm of life or not being in control, being like a driver towards like, I'm just going to do this thing that feels good quickly. And I, I have that. And it's like, but it's not from a place that like, that I'm proud, you know, and it's, and recognizing that that is, there's so much it's porn is porn or Max, whatever. Max, excuse me, Max. We said it <laughs> earlier, turn lust into a friend, not a foe. If we could live by that, we don't have to be in shame. There's nothing to be ashamed about, whether it's a, you call it sex addiction or porn addiction or biting your nails. Turn biting nails into a friend, not a foe. Turn drinking into a friend, not a foe. We're talking about turning porn into a friend, not a foe. Why is it a friend? Because porn is our greatest teacher. Porn is a friend because it's, it's telling me. There's something underneath you, David C. David Chaim, that's hurting. And every time that lust comes up, it's like, okay, turn, get some help. Call a program buddy. Call your sponsor. Do your four-step inventory. Uh, do you have resentments going on? Do you have some fears going on? Yeah, now I got something. I can't put another internet filter on. I mean, Dan's got a great solution for that because it's about not only an internet filter, but a finding a, a way to get a program buddy or a buddy to be with. So yeah, turn next time that shows up or your underwear get a little bit tight, turn that into a friend. Out of <laughs> I mean, my underwear tight is always a friend. Also, <laughs> like the, for me too, like, I don't know that, like, I don't think lust is evil. Um, it's of like, for me too, like, I feel like I am learning my relationship with lust. Like mm-hmm. lust can be fun. Like lust, I want to, and I'm still in process process on that but i love what you are all saying about releasing the shame because i think the shame does get in the way of so much of it and even in in partners and women that i've talked about with this where i'm afraid i'm gonna get judged or whatever it might be it's like most of the time just been like oh like cool how can i like help or be a part of this journey with you and then it's such a nice thing to be able to not feel like i'm hiding it and have it be out in the open yeah when, when david mentioned about the the betrayal right? That secret, like not wanting to see someone like you wouldn't want your spouse watching you watch porn, but you say it's nothing. Dan, in terms of um, covenant eyes, right? When you're looking at it, do you feel like your solution is for an addict, for someone who isn't an addict? Does it make a difference? How do you guys view it? It's great. Uh, It's a really good question. Uh, I would say that our product works best for someone who is struggling. I think it's a pretty high threshold to say someone's an addict. I think people throw that term around quite loosely and and there's a, a very medical term for that. So anyone who is struggling and that have identified that they don't want to look at pornography anymore, that's a good solution for you. Um, It should not be in a situation where it's like a parole officer to a parolee kind of thing where one person is waiting for someone to mess up and then uh, bust them, get them in trouble. Uh, that, that defeats the purpose. Even parents to kids, it shouldn't be like a ha gotcha kind of thing. It should be, okay, we're learning from this. So you're looking at these certain things. You're curious about these certain things. Let's talk about these. Let's make this safe. Uh, we even play games with our kids where it's like, okay, you know what? No rules. Try to get me to blush. Say something that's going to totally, you think, offend me. Try to freak me out. Uh, and that's okay uh, because I want them to be comfortable to say things that I'd rather them say them to me than to their friends or to other people that wouldn't understand. So I would say that the best situation is someone who is struggling, someone who is uh, viewing pornography and doesn't want to, that wants to get it out of their lives. That's probably the best scenario. Understood. Faith, if you're dealing with someone who you see very clearly that they're struggling with pornography use or their view of sexuality is impacting a relationship, but they don't see it. <laughs> That's most, most of my clients, like most of my experience are people that their pornography use or their sexual behaviors have become problematic for a spouse or a family member or the legal system. And that's a very real 
consequence that happens with addiction, especially like when we're talking about sex addiction, it it impacts the most intimate part of our lives. So that's usually our intimate partners that end up bringing up that there's an issue because addiction, it runs off of a denial system. If I wasn't in denial about my addictive behaviors, then I would never get to the point of doing what I was doing. And that's part of the therapeutic process is confronting what did I do that was so outside of who I am as a person? And You're saying part and parcel of the addiction, right? The same way it has the obsessive thoughts, the compulsive behaviors is also the lying to oneself. It has to have denial. There's no way if I, my denial has to get a little bit above what I'm willing to do for my addiction in order for my addiction to be able to manifest. Because and That would make sense why it's so important to have a therapist or someone else in the process because if I know I have a problem with lying to myself, especially in this area, if I have denial around it, and I've proven that just based on the fact that I'm addicted to it, that's one of the components, then it's almost impossible to heal ourselves. And it's also, I, I can't, even as a therapist, I can't heal myself by myself. And this is that catch, catch 22 that we've been talking about this whole panel is that shame tells me Nobody's going to understand. Everybody's going to judge me. I'm a terrible person and nobody should ever see me for who I really am. And recovery lives in I'm vulnerable and I'm safe to be myself. And if somebody else judges me, that says more about their shame about themselves than who I actually am as a person. And that separation. So that way we can be authentic. But the act of being authentic means overcoming this pain and shame. And denial is a warm blanket. It feels good to not feel bad about me doing things that are harmful to myself and others. So that therapeutic process can be very painful. And and what I kept thinking while we were talking about like even 12 step and, and the blocking softwares is ultimately it comes down to my willingness and ability to tolerate discomfort. Because once I take the porn away, all of my discomfort is going to be right in my face. And that withdrawal and the anxiety and the the pain and maybe even flashbacks from traumatic abuse, loneliness, feeling like I'm going to die alone. Like we can go into like the core of our human psyche becomes exposed when we take away that thing. And and if we're in that alone, we're we're done for. The the thing that I also just wanted to touch on really quick, Dan, you said something about where pornography is going, and I think that this is. One thing that I'm seeing more and more, the longer we have access to internet, the kid who starts looking at eight, by the time he shows up at therapy in 20, has seen things that are so uncomfortable and so judged by our society, even if he's not, um, doesn't have an underage affiliation or like doesn't have an attraction for underage, he's probably seen underage pornography. If he doesn't have an interest or attraction towards um, animal pornography. He's probably seen that. He's probably seen possibly murder, possibly fecal matter, possibly urine. Like we can go into like this very disgusting thing. And the minute you can see it once and it feels like I'm such a horrible human that I don't deserve to ever get healing. And it can be unsafe to go and share about that in a 12 step meeting. Just the reality, because it touches a part in other people that we feel ashamed or scared of. And so in therapy, talking about the more complex and nitty gritty of the addiction also helps us confront our denial system that like, that's not who I am as a person, but this is something that I did because of my disease of addiction. And that the incongruency of that 
motivates me towards recovery. Faith uh, nailed it. Um, and Max said something as well, where you go down that certain rabbit hole and um, the, this, this is, we're not talking about rated R movies. We're not talking about pinups from the 1950s and 60s. Right. We're talking about hardcore. And, and like Faith said, it's younger and younger. It's, um, you know, there are whole categories of teen, uh, rape, bestiality. It's way down there. And uh, I remember talking to several people where they'll say that they personally are not gay, but they're said, I seek out gay porn or I seek out bisexuality and I'm not that. And I, I don't know why I'm even looking at these things. So people are getting so confused. Imagine an eight-year-old who has no idea what sexuality is at that age and sees all that in their face. Am I doing this right? There's an animal. Should I be should I be attracted to them? I mean, there's so much going on right now in, in, in young people. Um, and there's very little direction because when you don't know something, you Google it, like Max said. And, and Google's a, a terrible teacher. Right. Also, there's so many social media platforms and so many apps these days that have either browsers on them or the, the content itself is porno- pornographic. Like there's many websites that people don't associate. Like if, if they're not a porn addict and they haven't used it to act out on porn, that they typically wouldn't assume, oh, that's a place to get this very off-the-wall pornography. But it is. And like, so you're exploring on what seems like a normal blog channel as a eight, 10, 17 year old. And you just find a thread that's like, huh, what's that? And then the next thing you know, you're opening up content that you never expected to see and your brain becomes shocked. And the impact of that shock increases your tolerance. And so then you need more and more intensity to feel the numb from that original discomfort that would have just started from this like little kid. And then the next time you go look or you act out to what would be considered normal pornographic material, your brain is like not the threshold is. And that's- let me ask you a question. And also a function of the brain chemicals. That's what I've learned. It may be about shock. It isn't only about shock. It's just the thrill. It's like the person that goes to the amusement park. You know, we go from one roller coaster and we get, have to get a more extreme roller coaster. Uh, I know from my own personal experience is that uh, I'm a thrill seeker. I like a rush. You know, I'm, like I said, I grew up in the 60s and 70s where, you know, pot led to something and something. I don't want to go into all the details from there, but I look for a bigger rush. As I got older, I, I took, I got that rush by being in business and taking more and more risk and buying riskier investments and opening up businesses right and left and selling them and Oh, it was such a rush. It was just great. I, you know, and when I had enough money that I said, okay, now what? I became a pilot. Uh, why? So I can do spins and, you know, all these things for a rush. It's it, because the brain, once it gets comfortable or accustomed to a certain high, and then that dopamine uh, drip just doesn't do it anymore. So then, Faith, your comments on that, I'd love to hear more. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just, wanna, things- I just wanna add to it a little bit. So if I understood correctly, I, th- I think Dan touched on this. When people start going into different categories, they can start identifying themselves with that category. It's not just, I went on a roller coaster with a yeah. loop in it. It's, I watched a porn scene with an animal in it. And now am I, is that my identity at this point? Yeah. Is that and called a think- movie? Sad joke. Oh. <laughs> oh, terrible, terrible, terrible. Oh. Right over my head. No, I would say also part of healthy recovery is being aware that when I take away the pornography, I'm going to feel depression, boredom, apathy. I'm no longer getting the stimulating experience. And that's part of the withdrawal from pornography is, and that's what I mean about the, I'm going to have to be able to learn how to tolerate my discomfort. I'm going to feel uncomfortable when the acting out gets taken away. 
And um, I think also for people with complex trauma, the discomfort of taking away the pornography can lead to a feeling of victimization. And then they feel powerless or victimized by their own discomfort. And then it's like, well, excuse my language, fuck it, I'll act out. <laughs> like, and it, it becomes this very complex system that without support, we're, we're, we keep saying like, you can't do it alone, but I'll just reiterate it again. Without support, I can't overcome my discomfort. But in, in recovery, healthy, thrill-seeking, I've go do it, go do something fun, but within the boundaries and healthy limits for yourself. Because if you don't, why be in recovery? Like why give up the not having to feel any discomfort for then not having any fun or any kind of interest or hobbies, but just being aware that your brain is going to need time to adjust because nothing's going to have the same switch in the brain as addiction, unless it's addictive. <laughs> yeah. in, my, my, in my own experience, it was, you know, someone asked, a, someone asked a question about feeling bad after they, they watched pornography. Like I've, I've had to turn that off completely. There's no room to, to feel bad. In fact, I recommend to a lot of people when I'm working with, with people in the program as a sponsor, sponsee, I'll often recommend to them that they write a thank you letter to pornography. Like, thank you for everything you did for me. I describe it as a friend who has moved in and just hung out way too long. And when they came over, you were in a bad spot and you needed them there. And now you got a wife and two kids and they're still just, you know, waking up at three in the afternoon, coming by, walking in their boxers and like, dude, I love you, but get the hell out. Right. How beautiful. Well said, Ali. Beautiful. So that, that was one aspect. And what you, when you, what you spoke about the bad feelings, the waves of sadness that I had inside me, um, I didn't, I, I had no idea that I was sad. And when I f- first stopped pornography in 2013, I, it was just massive amounts, you know, for probably 30, 45 days it was more of jitters. If I break it down more for two weeks, it was like, I'm never watching pornography again, ever. I'm done. It repulsed me. And then the trigger started coming. And then like, you know, kind of irritable, restless, can't sleep. And about 30, 45 days in waves and waves and waves and waves of sadness. And if I'm being honest, I didn't really, I wasn't really able to work through the several year impact of sexual abuse until I pulled away the acting out. So someone asked that question is if there's underlying reasons that I'm acting out or using pornography, do I first need to address the reasons and then address the pornography? And I think just the opposite. It's impossible to, you know, it'd be like going to the doctor and saying, I have an infection, but I have no idea where the pain is because I've been taking painkillers for so many years. I just kind of feel like something is off. And the doctor would say like, okay, let's strip everything away because you got to tell me if your finger's hurting or your knee's hurting. Like, I got to know where to go in. I mean, this, the sadness was so, so I don't want to say bad, but it was so intense that there was a two-week period where I woke up every single night crying. I hadn't cried for years before. It wasn't something I experienced before. And then after that, I felt like after I went through the sadness, I had a period of really good feelings and then waves and waves and waves of anxiety. And that took a little bit longer to work through the panic attacks and everything else. But those were the two monsters that porn addiction was helping me manage. And that's why I say it was so useful for me because I didn't have the tools to deal with depression, anxiety. I it was I didn't have the words, the tools, the support system at 13, 14, 15 years old. So the fact that I used it then possibly, I don't want to like be trite, but possibly saved my life. I don't know what else I would have done to cope with those feelings. So instead of looking at it today as pornography is bad, everything in the past was good. It served a function, but now I can meet it in a healthier way. And number two, when a trigger comes up today, I always know that there's something going on. I mean, it's not just an accident. If one night as I'm going to sleep, I'm itching to push buttons a little bit, whether it's pornography or 
a couple search terms on Instagram or something like that to push it a little bit. That's an indicator for me. It's a barometer that something is off that turn has to be addressed. Turn a friend out of phone. You're, you're doing it. Turn lust into a friend out of phone. That's excellent. Right. Yeah, that's, that's what I thought you meant by it when you said turn lust into a friend out of phone. Like when it's there, it's like, hey, you're here to tell me something. You're communicating it. You communicate it funny. You're not the best communicator in the world. It's like, hey, dude, you're carrying around a little anger at that person who did something two weeks ago, or you're really afraid that something's happening and you may want to talk to someone about that. And instead it's, hey, why don't you check out, you know, the top 10 models on Instagram? And I say that because photography, what? You'll find me there, so don't worry. (laughs) So just um, maybe in terms of uh, parting thoughts from each of us, in terms of practical steps someone can take right now, they're here, they're in this moment, they're listening to this and they're saying, I'm done. And probably if they signed on or clicked on this recording at some point, they're done. They don't want to watch pornography, especially if they stayed this far in. What specific step-by-step recommendations can uh, each one of us, starting with Dan, Faith, David, and Max as well? You're here, so why not? The first actionable item is have Max record his poem on a video <laughs> and then we'll, we'll all share it and it'll go viral and we'll accomplish so many things because of that. So Max, get that on video. We'll share it. It'll go viral. We'll start with that. That's, that's item number one. Number two, um, if you are looking at pornography and you want to stop looking at pornography, tell someone today. If you wait till tomorrow, it'll maybe way weeks, months, years. We've met people that are 60, 70 years old that have said, I've struggled. I'm almost here and up here. I've struggled with pornography for 30, 40, 50 years. And I can finally tell someone and I'm 70 years old. Mm-hmm. <sighs> tell someone today. Tell someone that you trust. Um, don't tell people that are going to judge you. You know, you don't need those kind of people in your life. Get help. Have someone else come alongside you. You can't do this yourself. We've Dan, can I that. dig in a little bit on what you're saying? Sure. Because if, if you tell me, tell someone today, I'm like, okay, I'm going to tell the next person. You tell me, tell someone I trust, I'm going to go to what Davis. I don't trust the person. I don't trust anybody. Mm-hmm. Right? So if we can calibrate that a little, if I have to tell someone today, then what are you saying? Are you saying just look at the people in your life and pick the one that you trust the most? Don't push it off. Or are you saying don't talk, don't, don't talk to anyone unless you trust them? Great question. Um, I would say find someone that you trust because if you can't trust anybody, then you need to reestablish something, someone that you can trust, uh, whether it be a sibling, whether it be a parent. Um, if you're in a relationship with someone that you think it's too traumatic at this point, help have someone else help you to have that conversation with them. Honest conversation is what you, you want to have. Do you guys because, offer that? If someone um, reaches out to you guys at, at Covenant, does that happen that people reach out to you and say, Hey, I need help. I know guard your eyes, for example, like that's a big part of what they do. Cause it's not just a technology. It's sure. more- yeah. We're the, we're the tool. We're, we're one of the, we're a solution. Um, we're getting to the point where people could come to us and say, either I'm struggling silent, I'm struggling by myself. I can't find anyone. And we'll provide someone for you that will um, listen. to So you you'll match an ally. So if someone comes and says, I have no one in my life that I'm comfortable being an ally. Yes. For me. You'll match them to another. Yes, we'll match them. We'll refer them to someone else who can do that. So that would mean also if someone is struggling and they don't have someone they trust, right? And essentially trust means they're not going to shame them over over it. They're going to give them relatively decent advice. So presumably uh, with your guys, and this is the topic that you're engaged in, there is no shame. There's just a, a willingness, a desire to help. And I would imagine a lot of people who understand it personally that joined the fight against it. So sure. And for a lot of people talking to someone anonymously is very comforting and very trusting for them because they don't know their past. So they feel like it's a clean slate. You don't know anything else about me, but I'm going to confide in you. 
As far as actionable steps, I would say first off is like the conversation that we're having today is we're like flicking a snowflake off the top of the iceberg. <laughs> like we're not even scratching the surface. Like we flicked one snowflake off because there's so much information, support, different dynamics. Every person is unique in what their addiction has brought them to. So being, I think like one of the first actionable steps is obviously reaching out for support, but then looking into finding a, a professional that you trust. I mean, this is not a shameless plug. <laughs> I, I did my own therapy for years. So it's not just about coming, but it's about being willing to step in and go. You, you and, couldn't handle and, the demand either. So, I mean, if no, 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 no. <laughs> this is a big problem. <laughs> I wish I could. I wish I could treat everybody, but that is not the reality of human, human capacity. So um, we need to find somebody who's aligned with us that we feel comfortable with in a, in a professional source and also utilizing the 12 step resources that are available. I always like the three pronged stool approach, right? We have 12 step, we have individual therapy and we have group therapy. And those three come that combination of all three is a surefire way to at least have a fighting chance against your addiction. That doesn't mean eliminating lapses. It doesn't mean you'll never struggle again, or you won't feel the discomfort. It just means that you have a structure in place that can give you the tools and foundation you need to then take and apply to your life. So what um, role do you think technology plays in this specific fight? I think but when just, I say, when I say that, meaning use tool, using tools. for Yeah, I think it just, and this is one of these beautiful things about the universe, in my opinion, is just as negative and dark as a thing can be, is how positive and bright it can be, right? And we see that with sexual addiction, the depth and negativity to which we get to in our spiritual condition around sexuality is the same propensity towards healing, light, amazing, beautiful, positive things. And the internet is the same way. The, the depth and darkness to which the internet goes is just as much a possibility for the positive, And it's about how we interact with the internet and what we choose to do with it. Got you. If anyone wants to reach out to you, your website is Lion. Yeah, so Um, You can always reach out to us there. If we don't get back to you within a timely manner, <laughs> then we usually try to respond within um, 48 hours. Awesome. And, and Dan, you're with Covenant Eyes, right? Is that .org, .com? .com. Covenanteyes.com? Covenanteyes.com. Okay. And David, your, uh, your thoughts on Can I just practic- start leading a 3.30 workshop? Can I just say goodbye just like very quickly? Thank you all yes. so much. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Max. You uh, here, like you're doing great. You're trying. You are on your journey. Release the shame. Oh my God, it is wonderful that you're here and doing this. Like, be gentle with yourselves. You will look back on this and be grateful. Thank you all. Um, we'll Thank follow. you, Max. Good luck with the workshop. Yeah, Ali. Uh, practical steps. Absolutely. Party words. Know, practical like, steps. Right, right. Just like you heard from Dan, uh, get someone you can talk to. Uh, you know, I, I coined a phrase that says isolation is not I solution. It's not the solution. Get in touch with people. And one of the best ways to do that, in my opinion, is through a 12-step program or get an ally through Covenant Eyes. Go to Guard Your Eyes. Uh, go to- Can you speak a little bit about what Guard Your Eyes does? And I can tell you personally, when I get a lot of people reach out to me for my TED Talk, and maybe I'm that first person that they reach out to and say, hey, I'm struggling with pornography. Well, when I'm talking to them, I'll usually say, you know, guard your eyes is rooted a, a lot in the Jewish tradition and Jewish faith. So if I get a sense that they're Jewish and going to be more comfortable with that, that language, I'll refer them to guard your eyes. If they're not, I'll usually refer them to covenant eyes. And All right. So we so can we, you speak a little bit about what guard your eyes does? And right. I like it because, I mean, this is a massive problem that needs a lot of solutions. Like there are multiple tools. There is no 
one person or one solution that can no, I mean, there's, magic fight the, there's fight the new drug there's a lot of different solutions just google it uh guard your eyes support is, groups therapy i mean there's that's books. right all, all yeah. over the all over the place just reach out uh, and I, I, this is a whole nother conversation do not tell your spouse yeah. yet okay it has to be supervised if you're going to disclose to your spouse please um, it has to, there's a lot to be said on that. We'll talk about it on another podcast where we talk about uh, our webinar when we talk about uh, spouses. I hope we have one of those. I think that'd be very interesting to get to know what your spouse is thinking when she finds out or he, she finds out and the best way to do that. So back to practical steps for those of us that are dealing with porn or is really reaching out and get a fellowship. There's the, the I, why do I recommend 12 step program is because there's over a hundred thousand fellowships around the world right now using Alcoholics Anonymous or, or uh, Narcotics Anonymous, and maybe you're turned off by that, but they all practice the 12 steps today. There's many S- treatment centers do to do as well, indeed. Uh, so there's um, you might be interested in. Um, joining or uh, checking out uh, pornanonymous.org. Uh, you know how to spell porn already. If you can handle <laughs> porn anonymous, you know, that, that's a biggie for you, .org. Um, you can contact me at uh, davidc at pornanonymous.org. But I'll, or, or go to sa.org, which is Sexaholics Anonymous. And there's a, a lot of different programs, SLAA, SSA. Bottom line, get, get, get out of that isolation Get a fellowship, get a sponsor, get a program buddy, um, um, because you're not alone. And find people that, are, that have lived lives, walked in your shoes before, and they can help. They can help. Just that sense of like, wow, you know, there's somebody that understands me can make a world of difference. So I've given you a variety of, of names and options. Until then, uh, also practice another principle in working on myself to increase the awareness of your perceptions and motives. I mean, after all, just by increasing our awareness, what's bothering me? Why do I need this porn right now? If you pause just a moment, the answer will come to you. If it's, it's an argument you might have had, if it's some kind of fear you might have had, it's there. You know, we, this is a spiritual program. Nobody's even mentioned that God in all of this. But this <laughs> is a spiritual program. There is a higher power. I am not the higher power. That was the shock to me. Uh, you know, there is a higher power. There's a way to turn to God through through these programs, which are 12-step programs, or going to your church or your synagogue and find someone that you can share this with. In my opinion, my humble opinion, you have to have God uh, on your side. It's it, because why? Is because what we're dealing with is a three-letter word, E-G-O, ego. Ego. It's my ego that is hungry for self-gratification. When you get to know yourself and you get to understand your ego and how it's uh, controlling you, you can start to say, okay, what can help me with my ego? And what does my ego do? The EGO says, edge God out. There's a lot of cute little sayings, but so this, this, might, this might take us on a path that was as long as Max's poem, but yeah, um, no, there, are a lot of religious pe- there are, there are a lot of religious people who have God, who know God, quote unquote, who end up in addiction. Dan's story, very similar to mine. I grew up in that environment and I felt like that contributed to it. So when you say God, how is that the same or different than if, if someone's saying, hey, I pray 
three times a day or five times a day, or I have a regular, regular practices and rituals around religion, but I'm still struggling with pornography. Well, what do you tell well, me about I, God? I tell you that's from your own experience, you know, this every dad knows this faith knows this. Everybody knows that there's a huge difference between being religious and being spiritual. Okay. So you didn't know God when you're, I didn't know God as a religious uh, uh, person when I was in my addiction, I only knew self. In fact, my only my relationship with God, I remember very clearly, and sometimes I fall back into that trap, is that I don't serve God. God serves me. That's how an addict has a relationship with God before but they... But prayer is a series of requests, demands. Oh, absolutely. You know, God works for me. God, go get me that good-looking woman. God, speed up my internet. For God's sake, you know, I've been, I've said that before. So the relationship changes (laughs) when we start working on a spiritual program of action, understanding that we have inside of us access to that. God is, you know, people say, where is God? And the answer is wherever you let him in. So we have to really separate God and religion from God and spirituality. And from me being able to access a higher power. That's what made the 12-step program so unique when it was innovated and introduced in, 19, in the mid-1930s, is uh, when Abby Thatcher came to Bill Wilson and said, why don't you come up with your own conception of God? That was a big breakthrough. So, uh, you know, God's inside. And if I listen, if I pause just a moment and listen to say, what's the next right thing for me to do? Uh, you know, you won't have your fingers on one of these spelling out P-O-R-N. Unless it's followed by anonymous.org. <laughs> ah, ah, wow. <laughs> Way to go. That one. Um, I'll answer this from, uh, from my experience as well, right? And a couple of short stories. So like I mentioned, I have people reach out to me all the time from the TED Talk I did saying, you know, hey, can we talk about what's going on with me? And uh, I think it was about a year ago or 10 months ago or so, I got a call from a gentleman who was young 20s. Said he's struggling with pornography, and he spoke. He he actually had spoken to a lot of people about it, but he was still struggling. Right to so that first advice of asking for help hadn't quite worked. And I said, "What advice do you get?" Then was kind of distract oneself, avoid. You know, pray, I don't know different things. Pray it off. It was it wasn't working. The advice he was getting. So I asked him why he thinks he's going to pornography. He said, "What do you mean? Why am I going to pornography?" I said, "Is it strictly sexual desire that's causing you to go there, or is there something else going on?" He said, "No, it's just just sexual desire. Why else would I go there?" I said, "I can tell you, in my experience, I went there to deal with anxiety, deal with emotional pain, deal with boredom, deal with all sorts of things. I I used it. It wasn't just to be crass. It wasn't just horniness that had me going to porn. It was more often boredom than horniness, to be honest." He said, "No, in my case, it's just that." It's just pure sexual desire. I'm a guy with needs, and that's why I go there. I said, so why do you want to stop? He said, it's just too much for me, just too much, getting out of control. I feel like crap afterwards. I'm really, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. So I said, okay, tell me when it got the worst. Like, what was that, the first time you you hit that stage of, I am done, I'm asking someone for help. I want to know about that moment right before you picked up the call the first time. So he said he, had, he was in a boarding school. He had come home from the boarding school, and there was a lot of tension in his house, I think he, he mentioned a sibling, which was going through some, um, some sort of sickness or illness, and it was very, very tense in the home. 
And he started viewing porn a lot more. And I said, hold on, you told me at the beginning of this conversation, this was like 30 minutes apart from when he told me that it had nothing to do, it had nothing to do with emotions. It had just to do with his sexual desire. And I said, but you told me that you went there because of sexual desire, not because of emotional stuff. And a light bulb went off in his head. And I said, those are the things that need to be addressed and need to be worked on, right? But in, in my mind, it's the program and the whole process works with relentless honesty. And like Faith was talking about with that denial, we, we're, we're going to lie to ourselves. So the, the other person is there, but the person is not useful unless we're being, as the program calls it, rigorously honest. I uh, like what David pointed out. It's that person should not be your wife for the first one. Eventually, that has to be introduced because keeping a secret for a long time just doesn't make for a very good relationship. But in my case, I, I disclosed too much too fast to my girlfriend because I was so excited about learning about the addiction. And I, I don't know, there was something about it that I vomited it all over her, every detail and everything else. And since I've, I've since learned the difference between rigorous honesty and brutal honesty. Rigorous honesty is this is where I was, and brutal honesty is the exact details that can send someone off a cliff faster than a Max Stossel poem. So. Whatever that is. <laughs> oh, poem. Oh, okay, I got gotcha. you. Poem. Poem. And now the the main thing for me that I found is that is that real like rigorous, relentless honesty. There was a book I read, which I recommend if people are struggling and a lot of his work is good, Out of the Shadows by Patrick Carnes. It helped me a lot. And in general, reading helped me a lot because it, it put things that articulated feelings that I had that were able to make me realize what I was truly dealing with. I love Gabor Mate's book in the realm of hungry ghosts, where he speaks about, he says, don't ask why the pain, why the addiction. So for me, reading and making sense of it was very important for the healing process, but it was also very important for me to be honest with myself. Like here it was articulated through the words of someone else who studied this for so long. And I said, hey, I'm in that category. So not only did it reduce shame, but it also increased honesty. And then where I started this off is that it is something like this. You know, if you're dealing with, if someone's struggling with it, if they got into a bad habit, need a little support, great. Go to guard your eyes, go to covenant eyes. You'll get a little bit of that support. You probably won't need much else. But if you're not at that stage, like if you've tried those things and you've reached, for help, you've reached out for help and you've understood some of those things and you're still struggling, you got to take it up a notch. And by up a notch, I mean it to the top notch, that it's got to be the top priority. I was ready to give up my business in order to get sober. There are people who I, I didn't have to do it, but people checked into rehabs for 60 days and said, I'll figure out the rest of my life afterwards because this is quite literally life and death. When you understand the trajectory and the progressive nature of the addiction, it's going to a very dangerous place very fast. And that's what they say about addiction. It ends in one of three places, death, institutions, mental institutions, or jail. And it's one of those three places that it ends if unchecked. And it just has to go there. And it's not death from old age that we're talking about. And I realized that with me. And I said, I'm making this my number one priority. And it continues to be my number one priority. And then what David Chai mentioned about the spirituality and God, that was so important for me to be able to see everything through a lens of, you know, what a, what a God meant for me is not the religious God in that sense, is that there's a coordinating force behind everything. And that coordinating force wants good. You know, when, when I read the third step for the first time, made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understood God. That was such a revolutionary concept, a God that cared. I thought about a God that punished. I thought about a guy that, a God that got even, a God that got revenge. Like here was a God that I can turn myself over to one that cared. And I recognized that a lot of the beliefs I had about God were not real. They were stuff that were introduced to me by people trying to control me at a young age. And if I was willing to pull that away and start with a brand new relationship, 
I can imagine the world with a guiding force behind all of it. And if there's a guiding force behind all of it, there was also a guiding force behind the addiction. And porn addiction is not a bad thing. It's a beautiful thing. It was a beautiful friend. And it's time to say goodbye to that friend. And if you two are ready to say goodbye to that friend, you can make it your number one priority. And you're hearing from people on this call. There are a lot of people who have gone through that process and now live a life free from pornography. And it's amazing. Well, there you have it. My conversation with Faith, Dan, David, and Max. Uh, was a really special conversation for me uh, since recording it. I've shared the recording with many, many people, those who reach out to me for help. I feel like I have a more substantive answer than in the past. I encourage you in your own life, if you are comfortable enough, to talk more about pornography, whether it's your own use of it or someone else's, because the prison door of pornography is locked with shame. And we can unlock the shame, we can unlock that door and allow someone who's struggling with this and many other forms of addiction a way out. On that note, I would like to touch on calling this an addiction and whether it's not that whether or not that's useful. My own experience of this, because I know there's some contention on it, whether someone could or can't be addicted to a process, specifically pornography, I found that it's useful for therapy to call it an addiction in my case and I've seen that for many others because those who have addictions that they want to get rid of follow a specific regimen and 12 steps is one of those and you heard some of those other things and I tried stopping pornography a number of times and it wasn't until I started calling it an addiction and then leaning on the tools that addicts have used that I started making some really good progress in this area of my life so as far as that's concerned science or no science it's useful to look at the treatment that addicts use to get out of it. And I'm glad I did. And I hope for those who are ready to take the next step, uh, this gave a little bit of strength, a little bit of courage to do that. Hope to see you soon on the next episode of the In Search of More podcast.